Welcome to this episode of SaaS Insiders Podcast. I'm your host, Vlad Hu, and today I have a very special guest, Austin Kerr, and we'll be talking about the topic on how to increase your SaaS profitability within increasing your team culture. With that said, Austin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Why wouldn't we start with a couple sentences? Introduce yourself to the audience. What do you do and what kind of things you bring to the world? Yeah, absolutely. So I have about 15 years of HR and C-level exec experience, ranging from industries such as music industry to real estate investing and uh, running theme parks. I've used all that experience to build a software to help CEOs, uh, owners, executives run their employees, as well as uh, manage a lot of the HR tasks. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it, it definitely makes me feel confident that you know the topic of culture. If we were to start, how does company culture like impact its profitability, especially if we're thinking about like in the SaaS, in the SaaS category? Yeah. So I think one of the main concerns that anyone who has employees is concerned about, whether they're the income or the, the money they're giving those employees is returning back to them. And, you know, tenfold, twofold, et cetera. So culture and the way that you deal with your employees has a lot to do with how much productivity you can get out of, you know, goes directly into how much money you give them and what you get out of them. So I think that if you aren't paying attention to culture and what your decisions are doing for your culture, then you could very easily find yourself losing a lot of money, even if you had made great hires or had awesome people in your team, you could lose that by not cultivating. Got it. Got it. Well, I, I get this a lot from, from entrepreneurs when we're in the circles. When they ask like, what is the best employee? There are a million answers. Oh, the one that's motivated, the ones that that. But the true answer probably is the one that is profitable. Yeah, yeah 100%. I mean, I, I think that one way that I've seen a lot of people get it wrong, especially when they're new to hiring, is that they try to hire like a certain type of person. You know, they want a bunch of sharks or they want a bunch of uh, a BS men or they want a bunch of X or they want experts. Reality is that you need a mix of everything. There isn't any one prototype of person that's great for everything. Some people who are great uh, developers aren't necessarily great team leads, aren't necessarily great at networking or building relationships or sales. These are all very, very different personalities. And so first things that you have to really worry about when you're thinking about culture and the team you're building is you have to worry about what balance of personalities you're bringing together, right? Because the dominant personality, which would be like that of the founder or the founders themselves. So they have one personality, one way of viewing the world, one way of attacking problems. And the first few hires they make, they either have to be like complementary. I mean, adding something to what that, that team is missing, or they have to be of the same mind. The worst hires that someone can make, and I've seen lots of companies, not just SaaS companies, but lots of companies do this, is they hire someone who fills a void that they, that they have to such an extent that they end up kind of destroying the culture, destroying the team. That's where like, you know, there is a little bit of a science into it, into understanding like, well, that guy's great. He's a go-getter, but you want to get someone who's not so much of a go-getter that he's going to try to go get you. That happens all the time. Or, you know, you're a dominant personality and you want people who are who are good at and detail-oriented, but not so detail-oriented that you can't give them orders because they're already over-organized past you. That Those would be mistakes where you think you're hiring the best employee, but you're actually hiring the worst for you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, I know you worked with multiple companies and helped them get the right people in the right seats. From your experience, what would be like the number one mistake companies make when they're building a company culture? Like what is the most common one that, that most companies do? Hiring experts. Can that you... would be probably the, 
the most common mistake. So someone goes, and I've fallen into it myself. Obviously, I have a newer SaaS company now. I'm growing. I you know, have my own income problems. I'm trying to solve problems. What happens when you hire an expert often is you hire someone who is not open to learning. Right. Mm. So you have this company and you go, great, I need a developer, right? You're a non-technical founder and go, right, I need a developer to help me build this, this software. Right. And so what someone could do is they could go and find the most, you know, prestigious developer who's built tons of unicorns and, and all these things. Right. And they're going to run into a few problems. They're going to one, blow their budget. And regardless of how much money you got, if the first person you hired is part of like 19 other, the most successful companies in the world. That person probably shouldn't be an employee. They should be a co-founder if you're going to go that. And then you're on equal footing and you know, you're dealing with that and you're confronting that problem. Because if you try to hire that person as an employee, when you are less experienced yourself, when you are, have a limited budget, it's never one employee that made a team successful. So when you hire that guy and he's like, yeah, I was a part of this and this and this, and they were successful. They often think that they were the reason why, but they aren't. Even like my company, when it becomes very successful or Google or whatever, it's not because of one guy. It's Amazon that's successful because of Jeff Bezos. Sure, he helped and sure he's a big part of it, but there were so many other little parts, all these little actions that build up into that success. So when someone goes and they start a company and they hire someone who who knows and who's experienced and who blah, 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 and exudes confidence, then they are often setting themselves up for a non-complete team, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's going to be heavy on one side. And that person will usually not be open to constructive criticism, to build, bring in the other key players that will fill out their holes and make a well-rounded company or a well-rounded team. So I would okay. say hiring experts, you know, not, not that you have to hire people who have no idea what they're doing. I'm not saying that. There's a strategy to that and it's not always wrong, but you don't have to hire people who have no idea, but you definitely don't want to hire the expert as your first hire. That That is always a mistake. And when you say expert, you mean someone who is almost overqualified for this stage of your company, right? Who's who is like like exactly. absolutely like like half a million dollars working at Apple, and you want that developer working in your team, and you're kind of trying to match that. Yeah, I mean, you, you think about it. Like, I say, people do this. You know, they're all so excited that they got this great catch, and you know, oh, he's this much, but you know, I can afford it because he's going to bring me X. And no one employee is ever going to bring you X. It's about building. It's about little small decisions. You know, again, that team, that that balance of personality that balance of skills. And that's always what you're after. I, I was just watching the interview yesterday from Y Combinator, they, they, the founders, and they talked that one of the most mistakes is hiring too experienced people too early. Just like example from Apple. Like I want that developer from Apple and they're trying to match their salary expectations. And it's just like, it's just blowing your budget and it's not doing any good. So oh. I understand. I understand. How would you define a good company culture? Like how, how can you look into company and say like, your culture is good? There's one way that I kind of differ from what I've heard a lot of people say on the subject is that I don't think that there's one type of good company culture, right? But I, if I were to look at a company and go, yeah, that's a good company culture, it's where you look at it and things gel, things fit, right? So to give it a little bit more of an example, I said earlier that the most key thing in, in building that culture is to look at the founder's personality. And the reason for that is because different people like to work in different ways, Different people like work to be a different part of their life. They like to, to handle it in different ways. So let's say you have a guy and he's aggressive, right? He's like a Grant Cardone, familiar with him type of guy, right? He's like, hey, let's do stuff, blah, 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 right? Or like a, a Trump or, you know, one of those guys, right? There's certain people who, who that personality should never hire. No matter how skilled, no matter how qualified, they should never hire people who are really, really passionate 
about about teams and employee values and uh, you know family values. That that type of person should never should stay far away from those types of employees. They shouldn't go anywhere near the Google mindset. And the reason why is because that's going to betray and it's going to conflict with what they want about a company, right? If they expect people to put their blood, sweat, and tears on the line every single day, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with building a company that way. You just have to make sure that all of your hires are okay with being run that way. They also feel that way. You know, that's a very incentivized team. That's everyone's getting little bits of money for for completing actions and everyone's money motivated. And, And I've seen some really great companies that operate in that way because there's not a lot of friction. Everything just kind of makes sense. You know, they go, oh yeah, of course I would, you know, give that bonus. Or of course I'd fire that guy who just messed up once. Well, it's because everyone does. And that's what it is. Now, separately, if you have like, you know, you're going for that Google, you know, unlimited perks and uh, vending machines filled with teddy bears and, and candy and all that stuff. Again, that's great. But then you should stay away from them sharks. You don't want to bring, you know, a super cutthroat accountant who's going to look at the numbers and go, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Because that would be ridiculous. That's not going to make sense. They're constantly going to be second guessing and bringing in doubt, bringing in, uh, well, no, if you did that, then you can make more money yourself. And right, because it's not going to gel. And similarly, a third main type of company, and that's like the boring company, right? That's like what you imagine as an accounting firm. It's a bunch of people who are kind of nerdy and they go, yeah, and they work. And then most of them leave, right? They're not like taking a bunch of spreadsheets home because they want to make sure where that penny was necessarily. They're like nine to fivers. They're there to produce, they produce well, and then they leave, right? And you're not expecting more from them. That's another like category of employees, of people, a founder. And if you have that mindset, then you should hire people who have that mindset. You shouldn't hire the people who are super, uh, the employees, they matter and, you know, give them all unlimited perks. You shouldn't hire those super sharks who are going to go, well, why aren't you working on this weekend? Because you shouldn't bring those people in there because it's going to betray what you're building. So you have to do it intentionally. You have to think, how will this guy fit into the team with every new hire, who will they work with? Who will they clash with? You know, is what I'm going to get from them better than what I'm going to lose? Because you're always going to lose something, you're always going to get something. And you have to like constantly be thinking about this. And I would say that like who you hire is the biggest part of the culture that you bring because those people are going to make small decisions, they make suggestions, and they're going to change and push the way that that company is going to go, basically. Hmm. I think when you're speaking about, and by the way, those are actual like, great thoughts. And when, you th- when you're speaking about how they fit into the culture, I think it, it correlates with core values, right? You establish for a company. Could you talk a Very little much. bit about that? How do we find the core values? Like, how do we define them? How many should be? Is it like 10 or one? Like, how, how would you recommend people approach this? I don't, I don't think there's, there's necessarily one right answer. You can have one, one as like your core, core value, which can be good because it gives people kind of one thing to think with. And then, you know, some things that are secondary to that or kind of like fold into that. That's one successful way. Um, I wouldn't really suggest more than, I don't know, I'd say seven or eight if you're going to have just like equal, hey, these are the things that are important to us. The way that you find core values are really the things that are obvious to you. I often think that obvious, I've said it to a few people, I think obvious is one of the most dangerous words in the human language. Obvious is horrible. Obvious destroys relationships, businesses, you name it. Obvious is is very destructive. And the problem with it is it makes you think, it's the thought that you go, well, something that's real to me, something that's in my own personal little universe is real to someone else. And it's not. Nothing in your head is guaranteed to be in anyone else's head. And so when people are trying to think 
like, oh, well, you know, it should be this and this is what I'm aspiring to and whatever. You can aspire to things. Aspiring isn't bad. Your core values, I would not say, are something you should aspire to. I really like Good to Great, which is a, a book on how businesses have become more successful over time. It's an excellent, excellent book, Jim Collins. And uh, he, he goes over a, a story of a construction company that he advised early on in the construction industry, I think in, in Michigan or something. And they wanted to create this company that like had this disputed like quality standard that they were going to build things well the first time fast. And this is kind of unheard of in that industry. Everyone takes forever. Everyone gets things wrong. And they had this idea. And so when he met with them and he went over their core values, he talked about, and and he set them up, they were all kind of like the things that they were already saying, yeah, we should build a company like this. And if you read and you, you listen to the way he described them, they kind of thought that the way that they were planning on running their company was obvious. That's how all companies should run. There is your core values. What you think is like, without even thinking like, oh, if you're going to do business, you're always going to you know, be honest with the person you're talking to. Great. That's a core value. Honesty. Because you are already think that that's important. Or you know, for the shark company, one of our values is uh, you know, that we're always on top. Great. You all already think that. Anything you go into, you're going, how can I be on top? That's your core value. You don't need to overthink it past there. Great. Sass Insiders, pay attention. Good to Great by Jim Collins, right? Yeah. We'll, we'll put the link in the description to this episode so you can check it out, this book, because it sounds it sounds like something I need to read as well. Just one moment on, on that book. I would just say it's one of the most impactful books that I've ever read. Basically, what he did was he, I think it was 30 years of stock market data. He wanted to find if there were any companies that were in their industry, and then uh, went through some transformation and then beat their industry by at least three times for a same period of at least five years or something like that. And he went through and he found like that there were 13 companies over 30 years of stock market data that did this. And he found other companies, another like uh, 10 companies or whatever that were in the same industries, but never made the jump. And then another five companies who made a jump and then plummeted. And then he did this like long 10-year study and talked to all of them to figure out exactly why, what were the things, what were the commonalities, it's an excellent book. Very, very like uh, researched. Very, very uh, insightful. No, just just like every overnight success, right? Happens overnight. There's ten years of preparation. No one sees behind it. That's, that's what he talks about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Austin, how how do you measure a good culture in a company? Like uh, when you invest into this, when you develop, how do you know you're doing the right thing? Like what kind of signs you need to? I've heard a few people coming up with some some different metrics on these things. One of the things that you should keep you should keep track of your number of employees divided by your that's a very very simple metric. It doesn't necessarily track specifically culture, but it does give you a good insight on how your employees are bringing into that productivity. So it's just like a really simple, you know, take your employees each week and then pick your income and you just divide. That's it. But the, the main way that, that I would say you do it is you try to always pay attention to how how sticky things are. So if you're trying to get something done and you're starting to run into, you know, it's just not quite going. You're too many stops, too many questions, too many, well, what's happening here? Then you should look at what you've been doing to your culture. Some people say that, you know, you have to constantly add in, uh, you know, rewards and add in you know, perks and add in all these things. And I would say that that's true for certain types of things. You know, if you, like I said, if you have a a shark company, then yeah, you need to make sure that you're having the correct amount of rewards. You have, you know, your Google, you have to make sure you have enough perks and, you know, all those things can play a part of it. But really, it mainly has to do with like what you permit to occur. So you hire people, 
and then you allow them to operate. So if someone's going around and they're being a jerk to other people and they're being really aggressive and demanding that they produce in a certain way, even if that's not, or pushing their job into others, and you allow that, you, you go, oh, well, I'll handle that tomorrow. Eh, I'll handle that next week. Yeah, that was weird, but you know he's being productive. If production isn't the, the core thing of your company, if you're not a shark company, then you shouldn't allow someone who's productive to get away with murder because that's what destroys your culture. That's what tells people, hey, I can do that. Or even though I was operating right, that guy operated wrong and because he made a sale and he could do it, well, then I don't really care as much anymore. There's like all these little things. And the really sad thing is once you start your culture in the wrong direction, you basically, it's going to be like three or four times as hard to get it back on track. It is something that's very, very difficult to fix if you don't catch it soon. So when you see something that's a little bit off from the way that you want things to be, right? Not like some some exact science, but the way that you want things to be, you have to attack it kindness or aggressively, whatever is your style, but you have to do that immediately because when it becomes enough of a problem that other people notice, when it comes to enough of a problem that like it's a problem, it's probably going to take you six months, a year to fix it, no matter what you do. Yeah, well, it's, it's contagious, right? When some person yeah. starts behaving against the core values, like other people can just say, well, we'll do the same, right? Yeah. And I, I had one person, it's almost like a virus in your company. And I, I saw one person started like seeding those unreasonable actions in one of my teams in my project. And like before I knew it, like in, in, in three to four months, I didn't have anyone in my team with that because they started behaving the same way. And we just had to, we just had to let them go and just find the people who fit the culture. So yes, I always find it like you need to take action the moment you see something is off. Yeah, the situation that I saw at a a company I used to work at, which caused like so much damage, which was really simple. There was one employee who got brought on and there was nothing wrong. He wasn't necessarily a bad producer. He wasn't mean, anything like that. The problem was that he just didn't care. He just didn't care. So, you know, he would just be like, oh yeah, you know, I'm just here to do my job. That's kind of was like his his quote, his saying. You know, ah, I'm just here to do my job. Something simple like that. But he would say it all the time. So when someone would come and say, hey, uh, you know, you did X wrong or, you know, hey, you could have done this differently. Well, yeah, I could have. But, you know, I'm just here to do my job. So it's probably not that big of a deal. And that's all it was. And he was, I wasn't the only person at that company. So I wasn't like, uh, it wasn't my company. Wasn't able to get rid of him soon enough. We saw that really, really start to spread. Because one of the things that I think is the most important, if you have a company that's either you know the shark or, or the Google type of company, then you have to make sure that you're really cultivating passion. If passion is where it started, right? If you're not that nine to five business, if you are a company where some people feel passion and you cultivated that passion, which I think can be a great move if that fits the founder, and you let someone who doesn't have passion, who almost like, I would say passionately doesn't have passion, like the guy I'm talking about, that's going to destroy people's passion. Mm. And once it's gone, it's so hard to get back. You, like, like you said, you, you end up having to fire those employees, even if they would have been great. And because you have to keep cutting it off as it's spreading, otherwise it'll go to everyone. And the new hires you bring on, they'll meet that guy on their first day and go, oh, that's the type of company we have. Okay, yeah, that's fine. Nine to five, don't worry about it. And then they're useless. I see. I see. Austin, now that we're in front of quite a few people listening, if and those are founders of their SaaS businesses mostly, if you were to give them like one specific advice, just one advice that everyone 
should remember in terms of building their culture in their team? What, what that would look like? So the idea is who first. There's nothing more important than the people that you bring on to your team and the team that you build. So you, you worry about who first. Before you worry about making sure you have the best company or the best strategy or the best software, you worry about who and you make sure that you have the team that you need to start and be on the right. Yeah. Okay. Got it. A couple more questions aside of the company culture topic, if you may. If, if you were to go back to, let's say, five years from now, back in your time and, and give yourself one piece of advice in terms of entrepreneurship, in terms of being a founder, a leader, what that advice would be? I would have given me myself the advice to get into software. Back, you know, five years ago, I was not really into software. I always liked technology. I was good at it. But I hadn't really started like getting into coding or like that. And I wish I had sooner because it really opened up my mind to solve problems I was dealing with at the time. And, uh, you know, the earlier I could have started this company, the happier I would be. So... Got it. We briefly speak about you managing human management. Maybe in just a couple sentences, could you explain to the audience like... What, what type of software it is, what kind of problem you're solving in the market? Yeah, totally. So key management is really a like an all-in-one tool for making, managing, and running employees easier. I looked at the market through through my time, basically, I, I picked up a couple of different tools that made working in HR, working as a, as a C-level exec a lot easier. And when I found that I could make software, I then wanted to like re-envision those tools altogether to as one software that could be a lot more cohesive and could do a better job of it. In the kind of a greater sense, once building the software, what I found is that a lot of people who start companies never really envision themselves as managers of employees. They usually think that they're going to be doing sales or going to be having the freedom or they're going to be able to make more money, etc. And then if you're successful, or especially if you're building a software, within a year, two years, three years, you're going to just end up managing people. And so when you are managing people, I hadn't, hadn't found really any software to take on the challenge of helping those people with just managing people and the different challenges of people management. There's great tools like uh, Monday.com or ClickUp, but those are you have to custom build your own solution. So if you aren't experienced, you're not going to know what to build. You're Also, those softwares are very expensive to build, custom out and learn. So human management is really, you can just jump in, it takes a few minutes to, to be fully set up. And it will streamline requests and approvals between employees, uh, help with time off, uh, tracking production, uh, make it really, really easy to train any new employee through automation. If you have to deal with compliance with GDPR, it builds audit logs, uh, which can keep you in compliance or ISO. So it, it's really a, a really great software that can make managing and running a company much, much easier. Got it. Got it. Austin, what we built in an assassin ciders community is a community of founders from all backgrounds. We're speaking tech background, marketing, PR, real estate, like you name it. If you were to share like what are the biggest challenges you're currently facing as a founder when growing human management, what kind of help you currently need so that maybe someone from our community can actually engage with you and like help you out with something? Honestly, the biggest problem that I'm running into well, I'll say say it twofolded. It's really funny starting a company because obviously um, I'm self-funded. So the amount of staff that I can bring on is very limited. I'm someone who's used to running a team. And so internally, the one of the biggest struggles that I have is I'm having to like just do everything myself. I would say it's not that I'm just by myself entirely, but like a lot of the tasks and stuff like that, I'm, I'm having to only do myself and I can't really delegate, which is 
more of the skill that I've leaned on um, over the years, you know, creating hats, instructing, delegating. That's internally the biggest problem that I'm running into. But as far as, you know, what people can help me with, I really love anyone who can come and give me their opinion, especially if they have experience in the marketing field. I also have experience with marketing, but this software itself is really hard to market because it does a lot. So there's not like, and it helps a lot. There's almost like a limited number of categories of companies that can help. And so on the website and stuff like that, and in, in the pitch, I often can go into too much. It does too much. Anyone who uses that understands everything makes sense. Everything's very cohesive. But just in getting my pitch down and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, somebody has that insight, I'm always open to criticism or construction, you know, my website, the pitch, etc. how I can better package my software so that it's like digestible to people. That'll oh, probably do the... So basically the help with the offer, like how, how do you present the, the value that you, that you provide for the product, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like I, I know the values there. I've worked as a consultant. I, you know, the clients who I have really enjoy it. So I, I don't have to worry about my ability to deliver. It's just, yeah, that, that gap, that's kind of, that's the biggest problem I'm running into right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, understood. Austin, we speak with different founders and different topics, but there's one I like to speak about with all of them is um, how you do define success for you today, right? It can be personal, business, financial, some life experiences, like there's no right answer. Like, what do you think would be the success for you as Austin today? I generally define success as having fun. I love work. I it's my hobby. It's you know my work. It's a big part of my life. So how fun work is is really my biggest controller of success. You know, it's not necessarily like the dollars I have or the the life I'm able to afford. It's whether you know each day I'm going. Hey, I had some challenges. I overcame them. I did it with friends, and uh, you know I had fun along the way. And so yeah, fun is is really the best uh, determination for me of success. Awesome. Well, this is different from from the previous one. So I like it. I like it. This just shows how how different how different the people are. <laughs> While we're still doing kind of the same thing, right? But we all have different goals. It's the same for our employees. Sometimes when people think of team members as just like the number that you pay to someone to do something, it's not always the the motivator. Just like you said, for for sharks it may be money, revenue, whatever. For someone else, it can be having fun, right? So it's this is beautiful. What would be the best way for founders to get in touch with you? Not only founders, maybe VCs, anyone who would be interested to learn more about what you do and help you or get help from you. What's the best way to to get in touch? Yeah, so uh, my website is uh, humanagement.io. So H-U-M-A-N-A-G-E-M-E-N-T.io. The, you know, there's a contact form. I also have an email, austin at humanagement.io. Um, I'm also on uh, Twitter at uh, Austin M. Kerr, Instagram at Austin M. Kerr, LinkedIn, Austin Dash Kerr. So, you know, anywhere in there, I'm always open to talking. I love talking about business, uh, HR. Uh, if anyone wants some extra advice on, you know, there's a lot of things we didn't touch on like uh, how to track production or some of the more motivational techniques, how to talk about those or leadership. I'm always, uh, you know, eager to help others and get help. Awesome. Austin, to to wrap up our conversation today, what would be the last things you would like to say to to an audience? Maybe like a promotion or some piece of advice, like how would you like to, to end this conversation? I would say that, you know, if you are having a team and your team is starting to grow, you know, 10, 15 employees, whether they're remote or in person, uh, I do really think that my software can make your job easier, maybe in ways you hadn't thought of. If you uh, come give it a shot, I'm sure that it will. Further than that, I think that 
the impact that being an employee at your company is, but no way to not acknowledge that you are going to be at least a third of their life will be spent with you and on your project. So think about that. Think about the impact. Think about what you can do for people, what people are doing for you, and you know, grant the importance to that that it deserves. Got it. Got it. Uh, SaaS Insiders, if you're building a team of five or more people, check out your management. Austin, I thank you for being on the show today and we'll see you guys on the other episodes. Thank you. Thank you.